How many of y'all are on Be Real, right? Add me, Mickey Show, first of all. But second, if you don't know what Be Real is, uh, Be Real is the latest social media craze. Um, it's an app, a platform where you can set up a profile, post pictures, stuff like that, add friends. And if you don't know how it works, the way it works is this. One time, at a random time every single day, um, the app will send a notification to every single user on the platform, and it'll tell them you have two minutes to just take a photo wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just take a photo. And so two minutes randomly throughout the day, it'll ask you, every single person on the app, to take a photo. And so the whole premise is like, you know how social media could kind of be fake, right? We heavily filter things, heavily curate things. Well, this is a way for you to be real right? Social media, that's real. And so you can't like just upload a random picture from your camera roll. You can't put filters on it. It just is what it is. You can post late, but then it says you posted late and no one likes to post late, even though we all post late. Anyway, I was hanging with a friend and randomly as we were uh, chatting and eating together, the notification on my phone went off that it's time to be real. And so I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Is it cool if we be real right now? He's like, yeah, yeah. What do you want to share? No, I mean, like, can I take a picture with my be real? And so I get the camera out. I take our picture. We got a cool be real shot. It's a front camera, back camera deal. We got our be real done. I put my phone down. But I noticed my friend isn't be reeling me. And so I'm like, hey, are you going to be real? Because we only have like a minute left to be real. So are you going to be real? And you know what he said to me? My friend told me, not yet. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what do you mean not yet? He's like, that's okay, let's just, let's just eat. And, and so he's trying to move on, but I'm like, no, 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 you're not off the hook. What do you mean not yet? Like, you got to be real. Two minutes, we have to be real. He's like, all right, you know, like, and this is what he said. I admit it. Later tonight, I'm going to a concert. I think that would be a cool be real photo. I'm like, you are not real. That's hella fake, bro. He was not being real. But how many of you know that? Every single day, you get a notification from the app to be real for two minutes. But every Sunday, God gives us a notification to be real for two. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the message. Someone in America is preaching that message, but not me. I think oftentimes the version of our lives that we present to the world, it's often heavily filtered. It's carefully curated and crafted. And for whatever reason, it's hard to be real. And I find especially in the church, for whatever reason, it's hard to be real. Just by show of hands, and it's okay if you uh, don't resonate, but how many of you have ever felt like the church can be hella fake? Come on, let's just be real. Like the church can be hella fake. How many of you have ever felt the pressure to put on a mask here in the gathering? How many of you have ever felt like there's no place in church for the real you? See, Jesus invites us to come as we are, but oftentimes we come as we think We should be, right? Um, In the garden, if you remember, Adam and Eve had just sinned. And the first thing that they do as soon as they sin is they notice their nakedness. And so they run and they hide from God. They sew fig leaves together, trying to make a, a little thong or whatever, and just cover their private parts to cover their nakedness 
and there's shame. And how many of you know we've been doing the same thing ever since the garden, right? We cover and conceal the areas of our lives we think are too ugly for God and too ugly for people. We cover it with religion and out of context Bible verses and Christian cliches. But in doing so, we actually miss out on a very real opportunity to encounter the living God. I believe it was Eugene Peterson who wrote the message translation of the Bible who said the call to worship is a call into the real world. In other words, faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. It simply denies it a place of influence. And so when we're coming into worship, it's not a call to escape the reality of life, the tragedies of life, the pain and the heartbreak of life. It's actually an invitation to face them in the light of our God. But I think sometimes in church we miss that memo. And sometimes we think this is a place to escape, to cover over all of the intricate pain and heartbreaks that we feel so that we can appear holy. See, worship is meant to reflect life. And how many of you know that life gets messy? Loved ones get sick, friends fall out, we hurt one another, we get lonely, we get depressed, we get weary. Life is messy. But hear me, church, and if you don't hear anything, hear me about this today. God delights in messy worship. Because he'd rather have the real thing, pain, tears, heartache, and all than a cheap, sanitized imitation. When we say, God, I give you all of me, that doesn't just include my victories, my triumphs, my successes, or joys. It also includes my pain, my brokenness, my, my suffering, my failures, mistakes, and my questions and doubts. In other words, God doesn't want a perfect offering. He wants an honest offering. He doesn't want sanitized faith. He wants the real thing. And you know, sometimes we come into the gathering and we might not have a song of victory to sing. We might only have a broken hallelujah. Sometimes we come into the gathering and we might not have a shout of praise. All we have is a sigh of silence. But I just want you to know that's okay. Because God's not looking for a perfect offering. He's looking for an honest offering. I can, I can teach this. But I believe like all good things in life, we should hear wisdom from the one and only Bono of you 2 So can you play that clip, John? So one sentence answers, just one sentence. That's all right for me. Yes, I am Irish. Okay. <laughs> One thing that you've learned about God through your reading of the Psalms. One thing. He listens. One thing you've learned about yourself through your reading of the Psalms. I don't listen enough. What is one difficult or troubling thing the Psalms have required of you? Honesty. Okay. I did it in one word there. <laughs> that, that where I come from, I'm saying that is minimalism. As I look through the scriptures, I just see a bunch of the dodgiest people ever collected in one place. Murderers, adulterers, egomaniacs. I mean, they sound like most of my friends. (laughs) They sound like me. And David's treatment Mm -hmm. of Bathsheba's husband, it's it's Mm mind-blowing that he had such darkness in him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he murders... 
really he gets her sent to the front line to, right. to get the husband out of the way so he can take advantage of the missus. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. This same character, right. through the alchemy, right. that is grace and redemption. We know God doesn't have favorites, but if he has, you think it might be David. And, and you think, well, how, how? And for me, it's revealed in the Psalms of David, the honesty. Mm-hmm. Whether he wrote them or not, or sure. attributed to them, sure. they are marked by honesty. Sure. And I want to argue the case for artists or potential artists who might be listening in on our conversation and are, are not giving expression mm-hmm. to what's really going on in their life because they feel it will give the wrong impression of them. We don't have to please God in any other way, really, other than to be brutally honest. Sure. That is the root, not just to a relationship with God, Mm -hmm. but it's the root to a great song. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's the only place you can find a great Mm -hmm. song. It's the only place you can find any work of art of merit. All right. Isn't that good? Bono is just so wise. Did you guys know he's a Christian? Anyway, I believe that what he says is really significant. I think not just for art, not just for creativity, but any, any type of relationship we hope to have with God can only be as deep as we are real and brutally honest. You know, I had someone that served on our worship team many moons ago, many years. Why did I say moons? Halloween. Many years ago. And uh, one time he came to our worship practice and uh, he just walked up to me and, um, you know, he, I could tell he had a really wild night the night before, but he came up to me and he's like, Mickey, I'm just going to be real. Like I am completely hung over right now. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, Hey, um, so do you want me to not play today? Do you want me to just go home? And, uh, and I told him, Hey, you know what? Despite whatever you did last night, and it looks like you, uh, you did a lot last night, you chose to come here today. And that means something. And you didn't choose to hide. You chose to come, to be real, to be honest. And so I told him, um, he was like, do you want me to play today? I was like, you know, if I sat you down, honestly, um, because you're dealing with something, I'd have to sit every single person on our team down. The only difference is you chose to be real and honest about it. And also in my mind, I'm thinking your punishment will be playing next to the speaker and having that hungover blasted with the loud music. I didn't tell him that, but I just knew that was the judgment from the Lord. And I think he had a really bad set that week. But how many of you, you don't need to hide your real self from God. And I think for whatever reason, sometimes we perpetuate that in church. We call it accountability. But really what we're teaching people is you have to hide the parts of you that are less than perfect. You have to hide and conceal the parts of you that don't fit into the cookie cutter mold of faith and church. See, what I love about the Psalms and what Bono loves about the Psalms is that they're not afraid to go there. They get deep into the mess. They get real. Psalm 88, 13 through 14. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? How many of us have been there? But how many of us have ever felt free to say that in worship? Like in the middle of, Jaira, you are enough, saying actually, God, where are you? 
Why are you hiding your face from me? You know what's weird about Psalm 88? You know, most of the Psalms, they start real and dark and then they end with praise. Psalm 88 ends with no resolution. And I think sometimes we're expecting every time we feel lament or pain to end with some sort of, oh, hallelujah, release. It's not the case. If you live real life with me, you know that there are many times there is no conclusion yet. We're still wondering. We're still in our mess. We're still in our pain, but, but they're not afraid to give expression to it. In Psalm fifty-five, fifteen, I love this one. It says, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead for evil finds lodging among them. Let's just be real. How many of you have ever been so mad or hurt by someone you wish that death would take them by surprise? Okay, maybe not death, but you do wish not so good things for them. Come on, we've been there. But for some reason, we're afraid to give expression to that in the body of Christ. Dr. Soong Chen Ra, who's going to come next Sunday for our unforgettable four-year anniversary, in his book, Prophetic Lament, he says this, the American church avoids lament. The power of lament is minimized, and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost. But absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament in the liturgy of the American church results in the loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain. We forget the reality of suffering and pain. Hear me, church. What's he saying? We can't have deep faith without acknowledging deep suffering and deep pain. You know, my old pastor used to tell us sometimes God will lead you into deep pain. And over time, what he'll do is he'll take away the pain and leave you with the deep. You know, when we think of the Psalms, they think we think of poetry or prayers that are like said. But how many of you know that many of the songs were actually written originally as songs? Right? Many of the Psalms were actually meant to be sung. Like, can you imagine the last Psalm 55 that we read? Can you imagine coming to a worship service and singing, Let death take my enemies by surprise? Like, that's what we're singing in worship. But the author originally meant these to be sung. That these were actually anthems of worship. Even these dark, twisted lyrics were actually meant to lead us somewhere to God. There's something powerful about singing songs other than songs of victory or triumph or joy. There's something powerful in singing songs about grief and lament and doubt. Eugene Peterson, he also says, we don't become praising people by avoiding or skipping or denying the pain and the poverty and the doubt and the guilt, but by entering into them, exploring them, minding their significance, embracing the reality of these experiences. In other words, sometimes we, we often move way too quickly out of lament into praise, out of pain into triumph. But if we skip the process of lament, we risk losing substance in our praise. We can't take shortcuts to praise. We can't praise prematurely. And Jesus, when talking about true worship in Luke 4, 23, this is what he said. He said, yet a time is coming and now has come 
When the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. In other words, the kind of worshipers that God is looking for are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Yes, God is looking for worshipers who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, God is looking for worshipers who are worshiping the truth of who God is and not a fabrication. But it's also true that God is looking for worshipers who will worship truthfully, honestly, authentically, who are not preoccupied with religious formalities, who are willing to offer up messy worship. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. This is one of those, like, boss passages where she's just such a boss, not like a boss, but like a boss, right? All these religious leaders who were making extravagant donations and offerings at the temple of God, and they were so smug and proud about it. I would equate them to maybe the people that come to church on Sunday and they're in the front row and they're always lifting their hands. They're always smile, always saying hallelujah. Not that that's bad, but there's almost like an arrogance, a fakeness about it. And then all of a sudden, this widow walks into service, and all she has is like two copper coins. And I imagine when she, back in the day, people would come to the front to drop their offering for everyone to see. I imagine this widow would come with these small two copper coins. That was but a fraction of what everything else was putting into the offering basket. She put it down. And I bet people were mocking her and laughing at her, saying, oh my God, look how little she has to offer. That doesn't count for anything. That barely does anything. Doesn't feed anyone. Doesn't, doesn't fund the priests or the ministry. But when Jesus saw her, he was so, so pleased. Why? It wasn't the amount. It was the honesty. She was not afraid or embarrassed about what she had to give, even though it was two small copper coins. And some of us, all we have to bring are two small copper coins. Some of us don't have a shout of hallelujah in us every Sunday. Some of us, all we have is a, I'm here, God. I showed up. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that alone is pleasing to God because it is an honest expression of worship. See, pain and lament And suffering, the honest feelings that we feel, they actually release a deeper song from within us. I know this is kind of going to be a long video. I'm just showing a lot of videos today. I did prepare my sermon, I promise. But I just think it's so relevant. You know, there's a song that we sing often on Sundays. It's called How He Loves. But do you guys know that the the story of the song, that the song wasn't actually written as a worship anthem? It was actually written in response to tragedy and heartbreak. And so, um, actually, why don't we turn down the lights? And, John, oh, I want okay, you to just play this video. Yeah, go for it. I don't know. Okay, I've never told this story before because it's so unbelievable. Um, I'm just going to tell it. I promise I'm not crazy. This is exactly how it happened. Um, I'm sitting out on my porch one night, 
And I wrote this, uh, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Right? Just that little part. And I had it sitting around for a while. A friend of mine came over and uh, we hung out. I hadn't seen him in a long time. He, uh, he was busy with a job and a new girlfriend and busy with a job and breaking up. And I was, I was not busy, not with a girlfriend and not really breaking up. Um, actually, I was. No, I'm the one who's busy with a girlfriend and breaking up and getting back together. And he was the one who's busy with a job. That's his wife, by the way. It's not, it's not oh, her. they laughed at my joke. Thank you. Needless to say, we hadn't seen each other in a while. And um, we were both really busy. He came over to the house one night, just randomly, just knocked on the door to see if I was home. Um, and we were going to go do something, and we never did. We just sat around and talked all night long. Um. We, uh, were, we, when we were younger, we used to call it black holing, where we would go and hang out at one of our houses and sit around and think of something to do and not end up actually doing anything because we couldn't decide. But we had fun anyway because we were together. We hadn't done that in a long time, and he came over, and we just totally black holed. We got caught in the black hole of not knowing what to do, and we had such a good time. I played him the beginning of that song and he said that's my favorite song you've ever written I was like that's not a song bro that's a line <laughs> he says no it's my favorite song I've ever written it's gonna make you famous I said well number one that's not a song number two I'm not gonna be famous so you're wrong and 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 that night, he walked off the porch, he got in his car, and then he, before he opened the door, he looked over and said, I love you, man. I said, I love you too. We were young dudes, so saying I love you is not a thing we did on a regular basis. But that night it felt right. He drove off. I never saw him again. called me. I was down in Florida. He was in a car accident. And uh, they, uh, all I knew is he was in an accident. He'd been hurt really bad. No one would tell us any details. Uh, turns out they were waiting for his parents to come. They were out of town. And waiting for his parents to come to tell them first that he had passed away. Fell asleep with the light on. Waiting for a phone call. And then the phone call came in and he was gone. 
and I couldn't sleep. So I sat down and opened up my little journal. And I decided this little line that wasn't a song that I didn't think was that great anyway because I'm blind and stupid to those kind of things. But, well, I'm going to finish it for you. Good night, everybody. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to finish it for him. And I did. And it turns out was a good song. Kind of made me famous. <laughs> it also reached across the whole world and they recorded this song in many, many different languages. And the fingerprints of my friend are right there on the song. And it was his dream to go to the entire world. As long as I'd known him, it was his dream to go to the entire world and to tell them that God loved them. And he always told me, I'm going to die a martyr one day. I'm like, shut up, Steve. You are not going to die a martyr. I'm not saying he's a martyr, but I'm saying what was in his heart, he actually was able to accomplish in a small way through this song. Yeah, so powerful, huh? I think a lot of us, we sing that song and we hear that song, but we don't know the pain and the history and the suffering that went into actually crafting that song You know, there are a lot of songs written right now, worship songs that we sing that are crafted for congregational singing. But every once in a while, there's a song like this that's birthed from the deep and from the real and the messy place that just becomes something that transforms the entire world. You know, this song was instrumental in forming even my own identity as a pastor, as a son of God, as a believer. And it came out of deep pain. Pain releases a deeper song. There's a song called So Will I that we sang a few weeks ago that we might sing tonight or today. And uh, I used to sing it. I introduced it to my church because it sounded really good. And I loved the lyrics. And I thought it was so beautifully crafted. But I remember uh, one of our elders at the church at the time, he had just had a stroke. And his sight was going away. He could barely walk or function on his own. And uh, every week, we would, Kristen and I would spend time with him, and he would just pour into us the years of wisdom that he had. And after the stroke, he, he continued meeting with us and continued pouring into us. And one day, I don't remember how, but we got into a, a conversation about worship, and he told me, my favorite song right now is So Will I. And I'm thinking about the lyrics in the bridge. It's like, If the stars are made to worship, so will I. If the rocks cry out in reverence, so will I. And I'm just thinking, man, when I sing this song, I'm singing it because I think it sounds good. When he's singing this song, it means something deeper. It means even when I can't lift up my hands or when I don't have the strength to sing or when I don't 
And when I can't get up, when I don't have the strength to continue on and actually worship the way I was made to worship, I'm still going to sing. So will I. The rocks are not going to cry out on behalf. See, we both said the same thing. We both sang the same song, but they weren't the same. There was a depth to his song because of the real and the messy and the pain that he was allowing himself to feel. Simon Tugwell, who writes about mourning, we talked about this a few months ago back in our Upside Down collection. He said, blessed are those who mourn is paradoxically a more necessary message than rejoice in the Lord always because there can be no true rejoicing until we have stopped running away from mourning. So you'll notice the Psalms usually end in extravagant praise, but it's because you can't have deep praise without deep pain or deep mourning. And so today, um, <laughs> that's my message. Just wanted to play the video, honestly, but I believe there's an invitation today um, to recapture honesty in our worship, to not be afraid to bring our mess before the presence of the Lord, to not be afraid to bring our struggle, our pain, our hardship, our doubts into the house of God, to release ourselves from covering our nakedness and to be bare before God and allow him to transform us from the inside out. I'll end with this quote by Nicholas Wolsterstoff. And he, he said this while he was lamenting the son of his death, Eric. Or the, the, sorry, the death of his son, Eric. And this is what he says. The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace, there is neither death nor tears, and who ache whenever they see someone crying tears over death. The mourners are aching visionaries. They are aching visionaries of a world to come where there will be no more suffering or pain. But while we're here alive in the midst of our suffering or pain, he's saying, I will not be one of those who are silent. I will tell God's story through my tears. You know, your mourning, your lament, your struggle, your, your reluctance to lift your hands, your fear, your doubts, all of those are an expression of worship. And sometimes they tell of a coming age where there will be no more tears. We can't be silent. We have to release that kind of worship, a messy worship that God delights in. So I want to invite us right now. With, why don't we close our eyes? I'm going to invite the team up. And it doesn't have to be like an emotional thing. I think sometimes we feel manipulated in moments like these to like be extra emotional. But I just feel an invitation this morning to just be real. Maybe some of you have come into the house of the Lord and the real thing is you just don't feel like being here. You don't feel the presence of God. You don't feel that emotional resonance or connection. If that's you, I just want to invite you, just bring it before God, just be real. Maybe some of you have come in with pain, you've come in with brokenness. And for whatever reason, it's, there's a disconnect between you and God and your worship. And maybe God's inviting you, just be real with your pain. It's not too big for me. 
Maybe some of you, you've come in with doubts and you've had questions about God and questions about the church. And I just hear God saying, your doubts are not too big for me. Bring them before me. Today, I believe God is more than an extravagant expression or a a willed into expression. God is looking for an honest, real expression. And it could look messy. It could look unchurch-like. It could look different. But I believe that's the kind of offering that God is delighted in. A messy worship. An honest worship. So just take a moment. You and God, no one else. Just bring whatever is on your mind and your heart before him right now.